With his hands tied behind his back, J.W. Tucker was brutally beaten with broken bottles. After torturing Tucker and 60 of his fellow Christians, they were thrown into the crocodile-infested Bomocand River to be eaten alive. It wasn't uh, Isis or Al-Qaeda who claimed responsibility. The attack took place on November 24, 1964, at the hands of Congolese rebels. As I was growing up in church, it was stories like these that uh, got told to, encur to encourage us to become missionaries. The call would be, who will replace Tucker and those 60 Christians serving God in the Congo? We don't pitch worldwide missionary or international Christian work quite the same way these days, do we? But then today, the vast majority of missionaries or international workers, as we call them in our church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance, they no longer come from North America. They come from countries that are often the least safe for you to be a Christian. They still respond to that kind of appeal there. Personally, I've always been inspired by the stories of passion and courage that would lead someone to leave the comfort we have here in North America and go serve in another part of the world where your life is potentially on the line. But increasingly today, a lot of Christians just say, that's nuts. And they go a step further and they say, that's just irresponsible. Like in the case of Jay Tucker, his death left a wife without a spouse and young kids without a dad. That's just irresponsible, right? I mean, did Jay Tucker just not understand what he was doing, the risk that he was taking? Did he not understand the implications that his actions might have on his family? No, he understood. He, he perfectly understood. He, he counted the cost before he went. Morris Plotz, who is also a missionary and a very close friend of Tucker's, Plotz tried to convince his friend not to go. If you go in, he prophetically pleaded, you won't come out. Tucker responded with this incredible statement. God didn't tell me I had to come out. He only told me I had to go in. Now that's a powerful statement. And it leads me to this thought. Courage is not the act of coming out of danger. Courage is the act of going in. Put another way, faith is not the exercise of getting through a tough situation unscathed. Faith is simply going into the situation because God called you into it. Okay, let's bring this closer to home. Courage is not coming out with a new job and a greater salary and benefits. Courage is going in and applying with a well-done resume and, and with a passion to tell your story really well. Courage is not about coming out with a loan. It's about going into the bank with a well-done business plan. It's not about coming out with the sale. It's about going into the meeting with a great pitch. It's not about getting chosen for the team. It's about trying out for it. Still, for Jay Tucker, what a way to go, thrown into a river to be consumed by crocodiles. It's hard to believe that churches all over used to tell that story to inspire a new crop of missionaries. Does it inspire you? My, my legal name is Douglas Daryl Doyle, and Daryl is my middle name after my uncle. However, when uh, parents, uh, my parents went to have me baptized in the Catholic Church, this was a, a complicated situation where my grandfather had been told to leave the Catholic Church because he had just entered into a mixed Protestant Catholic marriage and his kids were Christian Protestants. So he was, uh, he was just booted out for that. 
Now, to get everything back on track, I was baptized by the bishop of the cathedral of the pro-assumption in North Bay, Ontario, and when that was done, my grandfather was fully reinstated into the Catholic Church. But the bishop wanted me to have a saint's name before he would baptize me. There was no Saint Doug or Saint Daryl in the Catholic Church. So the bishop gave me the name Stephen. So on my baptismal certificate, I am Douglas Daryl Stephen Doyle. And, and all through my school years, my, my records say Douglas Daryl Stephen Doyle. Now, I tell a lot of grade one stories because I had just an awesome, passionate, spirit-filled teacher in the Catholic school I went to. God used her powerfully in my life. And if any of you are teachers, including, uh, in, you know, Kid City teachers, never underestimate the power of your influence for good and for faith in a kid, even a six-year-old. Don't. It's huge, I tell you. Now, my ears perked up in that grade one classroom when my teacher began to tell the story of Stephen from Acts chapter 6 and 7 in the New Testament part of our Bible. Man, she was one awesome storyteller, like, incredible. And after she told the story of Stephen, I, I was so proud that the bishop gave me that name. Stephen, I, I kind of made a commitment that day that I wanted to serve God with courage like Stephen did and help people come to know Jesus. I think that story told by Mrs. Curtis may have been the beginning of my being called into full-time ministry as a pastor. Now, we're in this series of messages called The Supernatural Normal, where we're all being called to experience the power of Jesus to live in love like him. That Jesus just doesn't want to call us to follow him. He wants to empower us to live changed lives, where we courageously and boldly love the people we connect with day in and day out the way that Jesus loves them. So today, I want to tell you the story of Stephen that so changed my life. I want to look at the truth that courage is not getting out of the situation unscathed that God calls us to. Courage is following God wherever he calls us. That courage is not the act of coming out of danger. Courage is the act of going in. Like our first responders in the 9-11 attack or the Fort McMurray wildfire, right? They exemplify this incredibly well. We first meet Stephen when the uh, Apostle Luke describes a, a really big conflict that was going on in the early church between the Hebraic uh, Jewish Christ followers and the Hellenistic Jewish Christ followers. You have Aramaic-speaking Hebraic Jews who are direct descendants of Abraham, and you have Greek-speaking Jews who, for the most part, are converts to Judaism, or their parents or grandparents or ancestors before them came into Judaism. Two very different groups, two very different cultures. The Hebraic Jews were more rural and small-town oriented, and the Hellenistic Jews were more of a cosmopolitan, sophisticated, big-city type. And, and between the two groups, there's a bit of racial tension. Yep, racial conflict has always been something the church has had to work through. And, and to lead them through this conflict, the church looked, the apostles looked to recruit the best people they could find to help kind of navigate them through this mess. Let's read from the book of Acts. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all of the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. These seven, they become responsible not just for the issue of the widows, they really become responsible to lead the Hellenistic church. You have a Hellenistic church now branching off from the Hebraic church. Uh, it had already happened in Judaism, and, and so this was something that really already existed. Now, one of the guys who was picked to help lead the Hellenistic church is Stephen, who is also Hellenistic in background. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. This is Hellenistic Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue uh, with, with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. A couple of things that I want you to see right off the bat. This is the first time anyone other than the apostles are said to have been used by God to perform signs and wonders. Something significant is happening here. Remember the words of Jesus we talked about last week and the week before? Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son you may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. First, you see this happening with the apostles. Now it's happening with Stephen. And ultimately, this kind of stuff can still happen today through ordinary, everyday followers of Jesus who surrender their lives to God and are full of his spirit. Ponder that, will you? Stephen, full of the spirit, is powerfully used of God. And the Holy Spirit gives him wisdom as he speaks. What happens is that those who are opposed to this new Jewish group of Hellenistic Christian believers, they just can't refute the words and the wisdom of Stephen. When Stephen speaks, he's anointed by the Spirit. His words have power to them. We read, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Heck, even Jewish priests are becoming followers of Jesus in great numbers. These deacons, including Stephen, have a pretty powerful ministry leading thousands to faith in Jesus. So what do you do when you can't shut someone up who you disagree with, with words so good that you just can't dispute them? Today, we just crucify them on social media. No, no, this group of Hellenistic Jews wouldn't have been satisfied to just roast their opponents on Twitter. No, they came up with some trumped-up charges, I mean, totally bogus. They, they seized Stephen, have him brought to the Sanhedrin to be put on trial. Now, the Sanhedrin was the supreme council of Jews that controlled the civil and religious law of the day. But they had limited power and were controlled by the Roman government. Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin and then later sent to the Roman leaders who had the authority to condemn Jesus to death. So here's the scene. Stephen is now standing before the Sanhedrin. There is this Holy Spirit anointing on him, so much so that those in the San Sanhedrin, they're, they're mesmerized by his face. He appeared to them to be almost like an angel. I mean, it was incredible. And the high priest asked Stephen, are the charges that, one, you speak against the law of Moses, and two, you speak about God and his temple, are they true? Stephen responds, responds by launching into a sermon, the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, and it's powerful. 
Stephen clearly states that God is not just the God of Israel, but also the God of every nation on earth. That didn't go down well. Basically, he was saying you do not have to become a Jew first in order to come to God. I mean, that was unthinkable. Now, Stephen, he's the first Christian leader to teach that the gospel of Jesus was not just for Jewish people, but for all people. That the Jewish people at that time, though, they believed that there was only one God, that he was the God of Israel, and that the only way to access God was through the priests in Jerusalem and the sacrifices in the Jewish temple. So what Stephen was saying, wow, this was disturbing. Stephen goes further. Anointed by the Spirit, he does not mince his words. He's not trying to win friends here, as he next goes and accuses the leaders of the Sanhedrin of murdering Jesus. Now this is true because it was the Sanhedrin that sent Jesus to Pilate looking for the death sentence. No Sanhedrin, no death of Jesus. So we don't say that the Jews killed Jesus, but the Sanhedrin with the Romans did. And really the truth is we all did because of our sin. Anyways, the leaders of the Sanhedrin are so enraged by these words of Stephen that the whole place erupts into an uproar. But what really triggers the Sanhedrin is what Stephen does next. Let's pick up where Luke writes just after Stephen accuses the Sanhedrin of murdering Jesus. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they, they, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. We'll see Saul a little later in this message series. But Stephen, he's illegally murdered. It is a lynching, it's mob violence, and no doubt the evil one is at work inciting the violence. And the violence spills into the rest of the Christian community. A great persecution erupts. The church is scattered all over Judea and Samaria. And because of this persecution, the church grows by leaps and bounds as new churches are planted all over the place, leading to thousands upon thousands turning their lives over to Jesus. Kill a Christian, and the church takes off. Same deal, by the way, with Jay Tucker. After he was torn apart by the crocodile-infested Bomacand River, the people he was working to reach, the uh, with a well, they just experienced this huge move of God throughout the northeast of the Congo where thousands came to faith. It was reported that hundreds experienced divine healing. There were even reports that some were raised from the dead. Today, in that part of the Congo, like over 50 years after the death of Tucker, there are close to 600,000 followers of Jesus, and a lot of it is directly related to the sacrifice of J.W. Tucker, who gave his life for the people of the Congo. Courage is not the act of coming out of danger. Courage is the act of going in. Stephen went in and did not come out. J. Tucker went in and, and did not come out. But they've demonstrated something that we've long understood in the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. 
kill a Christian and the church takes off. Scary thought. Really a, a bit dark, right? Now, where am I going with this? Are any of you asking that question right now? Worried that maybe I'm calling you all to be martyrs? Hey, I don't think that most of you watching this message right now are, are going to be called by God to be a missionary or an international worker in a hostile part of the world and be willing to serve in a dangerous situation, even a life-threatening situation. Most of you won't get that call from God. But if God does call um, you into some sort of international work, it could happen for one of you, some of you, and you'd like to get some direction on how to serve somewhere in the world, hey, contact me. Our church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance, we're all over the world, and that includes some of the toughest and most dangerous parts of the world. The work our international workers are doing in the tough spots of the world are amazing. We have churches in some of the darkest places on earth. But for most of you, the question that you need to consider as you listen to this message is, where is God calling you to action? Action that requires courage on your part. Where is or, or what is God prompting you to do? What are the whispers of the Spirit? What is the Spirit speaking to you? Um, maybe something that you're holding back on because you're scared, because it's costly, because people might misunderstand you and take you the wrong way. Maybe there's an act of love, an act of compassion that God is calling you to. Courage is the act of going in. Courage is the act of saying yes. Maybe God is prompting you to meet a need of someone you know and, and to use your resources, your finances to do it. Courage is the act of going in. Maybe God will speak to you about praying for someone. You get this prompting of the Spirit. Sean needs prayer. Go ask Sean if you can pray for him. Courage is the act of going in. You know, during this pandemic, we as a church, we're, we're not able to organize and operate big outreach events like we often do, designed to touch people at their point of need, you know, like uh, multiple Christmas Eve services, our bus lights tour, car show, and all these things that we do. But not doing that doesn't stop God at all. Because our God has you and me as individuals placed exactly where he wants us, where we live, where we work. You are the front lines of Jesus, what he's doing in our city. So are you listening to where he's calling you to serve, where he's calling you to take action? Because I'm pretty sure he's calling you. Where did Stephen get his courage from? Luke tells us. They chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. The courage came from the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we get a holy boldness, a courage to do what God calls us to do, to say what God calls us to say, to, to make a difference that may see many others come to faith in Jesus. It's true. Courage is not the absence of fear. There, there's still lots of fear. Same deal with success. Success is not the absence of failure. Often, failure is the back door to success. Because Courage is not the act of coming out of danger. Courage is the act of going in. And, and to be totally honest with you, God doesn't always call us to win, at least not in the way we call it a win. Sometimes he just calls us to try. And he uses our trying in powerful ways that we don't always see. And, and if nothing else, God gets the glory just by our trying. I, I heard one preacher put it this way. The will of God is not an insurance plan. The will of God is a dangerous plan. Stephen stepped in with Holy Spirit-empowered courage. 
And, and as he did, he opened the door to people who were not Jewish to become followers of Jesus. And, and what he did created such intense persecution that it moved the church out so that it could reach more people for Jesus. That's no insurance plan. That's one dangerous plan, right? And by the way, J.W. Tucker had no idea that the Mangbetu people believed that the blood of any man that flows in the Bomacand River, if that blood flows in the river, you must listen to the message of that man. And with such a violent outpouring of blood, they knew they had to listen to the message of J.W. Tucker. Tucker didn't know that, but God did. And the history of that part of the Congo changed. Also, Paul puts it this way. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means every prayer will be answered. Every sacrifice will be honored. Every good deed will be rewarded. Every seed of faith will bear fruit. So where do you need a little more courage? What is God calling you to do? I do know that God is calling us to be a courageous people full of the Spirit who will serve our city and beyond, living and loving like Jesus. You up for that? That's your calling. So let's pray that. Let's pray that God will use you and me to do powerfully courageous things that sees the lives of others transformed for the glory of God. Will you join me for prayer? God, thank you that you want to use ordinary people like ourselves to do extraordinary work in this world. Once again, we, we come to you and we plead, fill us with your spirit. And as you fill us with your spirit, take away our fear and give us courage and, and use us powerfully to be the instruments of your love in the lives of others. Oh God, we, we simply yearn to experience the power of Jesus so that we would live and love like him. We look to you to so empower us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.